Welcome to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans with Kirsten Johansson. Kirsten and her guests are here to help you stop struggling with your own self-acceptance and teach you how to love yourself unconditionally. Now, here's Kirsten. Welcome to GTO Freedom for Humans, where we talk about the ways in which we as humans can free ourselves from suffering by practicing unconditional love, acceptance, and compassion for ourselves. I'm Kirsten Johansson, your host. And today we're going to be talking about our relationship with our bodies. I was thinking about um, what I might like to do for the last couple of shows of the year. And I am going to be with you. Um, I get you all to myself today, um, as well as next week. And, you know, for a variety of reasons, not the least of which um, is what we've all been through over the last several years. Um, and the various impacts on our bodies from illness and changes in activity and changes with our relationship with food, et cetera. So we have that at play. We are at the end of the year, um, and many of us start to think about what we might like to do differently in the coming year. I think we're all familiar with uh, resolutions and uh, probably a bit of a love-hate relationship with that. Um, because of course, uh, you know, sometimes we make a goal and we get a little ways into the year and then that goal kind of dissipates. And here we are at the end of the year and thinking, huh, wow, I set this goal last year and it didn't go that well. So here I go again. And often it's about, um, the appearance of our bodies, um, or maybe what we're doing with them. Are we exercising them? Are we not exercising them? Um, and what are we doing with our food? But again, those things usually are tied back to appearance and weight loss, et cetera. And I have a, a deep history, deep history with body image um, as well as food. And I, I have come to know something really important, which is why I decided to do this topic today. And I want to frame it um, in this way that your relationship with your body is foundational to being able to make a change to um, potentially the food that you're putting in it or the way in which you're moving it um, and the various other um, things that we need to do to take care of our bodies so that our bodies can continue to carry us through our lives. Um, and our relationship with our bodies is often uh, very complicated. And so I do want to talk about um, self-love today as it applies to our bodies. And I know from my own experience um, with having a lot of self-hatred and perfectionism that I applied to my body that when I would hear people talk about, well, you just have to love yourself as you are, I would think, well, well, that doesn't work. If I love myself as I am, then I'm always going to be this way, whatever this way was, because whatever way I was, whatever, you know, weight my body was at or whatever my body looked like, or, you know, was it muscular enough? Was it thin enough? All, all those things that I've applied, you know, applied to it for so many years, you know, the, that, that ultimately um, is not accepting your body as it is. And once you accept it as it is, and you do love it, which I, I understand can feel like, well, how am I supposed to do this? 
once you begin to practice that and everything is a practice, it, it doesn't, it's not like flipping a switch. It takes a lot of repetition to change uh, a pattern in terms of the way that you view yourself and the way that you view your body. When I began to change my practices around my relationship with my body, my relationship with food changed, my relationship with exercise changed, and the compulsions that I had around food or exercise or lack of exercise and, and the way that I spoke to myself, you know, those those begin to change because I wanted to do kind things for my body, supportive things for my body. I, I wanted to have comfort and rest and, you know, food that it that it enjoys and that also supports its health and is also in the right amount for my body so that I'm not uncomfortable or, you know, weathering the regret of why did I eat too much, et cetera, which I think, you know, all of us are sort of aware of that kind of cycle. So I have a couple of pieces uh, of writing to share with you today and a whole list of tips and tools and strategies. Um, they are going to include both how you speak to yourself about your body. And also as we head into this holiday, you may be dreading some interactions. You may have family members um, or um, people that are going to be at a gathering that feel like it's okay to say things to you about your body. Um, and so we're going to go over some, um, some strategies for that as well. The first reading that I have um, is an article that I've saved for a number of years. Um, I think it was first published in 2017. And it is my favorite piece of writing on this topic. Um, it, it left an impression on me that I carried with me. And um, again, I saved this article and have gone back to it um, a number of times over the years. It's called What the Dying Really Regret by Carrie Egan. And at the time of this writing, Carrie Egan um, was a hospice chaplain and author and may still be. Um, and it goes like this. I know I'm supposed to hate my body, the patient said in her soothing Southern drawl. She pushed away her lunch, a brown lump and a pile of orange. Her son spent a lot of money to have low fat, no sodium, no sugar, low-calorie meals delivered to the house while he was at work and she was at home alone. They looked like piles of wet rocks. I really could die happy if I was allowed just one more bite of caramel cake, she said with a sigh. The woman was dying of cancer, and I was her chaplain. I don't suppose you have any. No, sorry. But why are you supposed to hate your body? Well, Carrie... She looked incredulous that I even asked and laughed, because I'm fat. She ran her soft hands over her ponderous breasts and her mounding, cancer-ridden belly. She spilled over the sides of her recliner. I've known that since I was little. She examined the crocheted blanket on her lap. Everyone told me. My family, my school, my church. When I got older, magazines and sales girls and boyfriends told me, even if they didn't say so out loud. The world's been telling me for 75 years that my body is bad, first for being female, then for being fat, 
and then for being sick. She looked up, and this time, tears trembled along her bottom eyelids. But the one thing I never did understand is why does everyone else want me to hate my body? What does it matter to them? There are many regrets and unfulfilled wishes that patients have shared with me in the months before they die. But the stories about the time they waste hating their bodies, abusing it, or letting it be abused, the years people spend not appreciating their body until they are close to losing it and leaving it, are some of the saddest. Because unlike the foolish or best-intentioned mishaps, the terrible accidents, the slip-ups that irrevocably change a life, this regret is not a tragic mistake. It is intentional. It's something other people teach them to feel about their bodies. It's something other people want them to believe. Sometimes it's based on their allegedly unattractive physical features. They might be ashamed of their weight, their body hair, their thin lips, or droopy eyes. But this body hatred can also come from a religious belief about the sinfulness of their bodies. It isn't always the media and peer pressure that create this shame. Sometimes it comes from a pastor or Sunday school teacher or lessons at home that begin at birth and seep in along with mother's milk. Some women grow up thinking that their very existence in a body that might be sexually attractive to someone else is cause for shame, that their bodies make bad things happen just by existing. Either way, the result of the messages is the same. They live their bodies thinking their bodies were something to tolerate at best, something to criticize, to despise, at worst, a problem they could never correct. Too often, it's only as a patient realizes that he or she will lose their body that they finally appreciate how truly wonderful it is. I'm going to miss, miss this body so much, a different patient, many decades younger, told me. She held her hands up in the dim light that seeped through the sunshade on the window. She stared at them as though she had never seen them before. I'd never admit this to my husband and my kids, but more than anything else, it's my own body I'll miss most of all. This body that danced and ate and swam and had sex and made babies. It's amazing to think about it. This body actually made my children. It carried me through this world. She put her hands down. And I'm going to have to leave it. I don't have a choice. And to think, I spent all those years criticizing how it looked and never noticing how good it felt until now when it never feels good. It isn't just health that they wish they had appreciated. It's the very experience of being in a body, something you likely take for granted until faced with the reality that you won't have a body soon. No matter what you believe happens after death, be it an afterlife, reincarnation, or nothing at all, the fact remains, you will no longer be able to experience this world in this body ever again.
People who are dying face that reality every day. So they talk about their favorite memories of their bodies, about how the apples they stole from the orchard on the way home from school tasted, and about how their legs and lungs burned as they ran away. The feel of the water the first time they went skinny dipping, the smell of their baby's heads, the breeze on their skin the first time they made love outside, and dancing. I've heard so many stories about dancing, USO dances during World War II, shagging at South Carolina beach houses, long exuberant nights dancing at roadhouses and discos and barns. I can't count the number of times people, more men than women, have closed their eyes and said, if I had only known, I would have danced more. While these wishes and regrets are sad for each individual, they raise questions about how we all live our lives. What does it mean that so many voices out there insist that the body is something to despise because it is too fat, sinful, ugly, sexual, old, or brown? That we teach each other in thousands of blatant and quiet ways to think we are shameful? That our bodies are something to be overcome, beaten into submission, or to be despised? How do these voices telling us that? How do these voices telling us that we are supposed to hate our bodies affect our notions of how we care for the sick, disabled, elderly, children, mothers, soldiers, workers, immigrants, men, and women? What we believe about our bodies affects how we treat other bodies, and how we treat each other's bodies is how we treat each other. You know what, Carrie? My cake-loving patient asked as she ran the sleeve of her nightgown across her eyes. Even though I was fat, even though I got pregnant when I wasn't married, even though I've had this cancer for 20 years and I haven't had any hair in years, I don't hate my body. They were wrong, and they always have been. I thought I was going to die for so long, I figured it out. And that's why I've been happy anyway. I just need to figure out how to get some caramel cake into this house. So that is my favorite ever piece of writing on our relationships with our bodies. And I remember reading that article and thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I don't want that to happen to me. And I had been hating my body and trying to tame it into submission as, as that piece of writing mentions for many, many years. And I couldn't fathom that there could possibly be a time that I would no longer do that, that I could maybe live a life where I didn't criticize, where I didn't judge, where I didn't question, where I wasn't trying to control my body. I even had visions of myself, um, you know, having had cancer, for instance, I have uh, thought about death and, you know, in some ways kind of looked at death in the face and 
um, had to tell myself the truth about the life that I was living. And one of the things that was most uncomfortable and regrettable was how I was treating myself and how I was ultimately treating my body, how I allowed other people to treat my body. And as the article points out, how I judged and criticized, usually silently, but sometimes not, other people's bodies. And that judgment and criticism that I had for other people's bodies could not have come out of me if I wasn't putting it in first. So I'm judging myself. I'm criticizing myself. I'm filling myself with with hatred and expectations that my body needs to be different. And in doing that, I would then judge other people's bodies because that is the way that I spoke to myself. That is the way that I viewed the world. That is the way that I viewed other people. Um, So there I am, not just judging myself, but looking at other people thinking, oh, gosh, how can you how can you be okay with that? Or what's wrong with you? And I just have to say, for the most part, through practice, 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 which I'm going to share with you after the break, I have freed myself to a great degree from the way that I used to speak to myself and thus the judgment and criticism and all the noise that I had about other people has disappeared. Um, And what a blessing. You're listening to Freedom for Humans. And when we get back, we're going to talk about um, how to start developing a friendly, supportive relationship with your body. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at giraffetangooctopus.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Are you tired of overeating, overspending, drinking too much, or being in relationships that drain you? Do you have invasive thoughts that make you feel bad about yourself and your life? Do you keep pushing yourself to the next goal only to find that it doesn't bring you happiness? You don't have to live this way. You can live a life of well-deserved freedom and happiness. Coach Kirsten Johansson is here to guide you. Book your free discovery session today at giraffetangooctopus.com. 
Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus Freedom for Humans. Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten, your host, and we're talking about how to develop a supportive and friendly relationship with our body, um, which is really a foundational step if you are thinking about wanting to make some adjustments to your food and your exercise to better um, care for yourself. Loving your body first is going to make those changes uh, more natural feeling um, when you start to practice them. So I shared before the break uh, an article written by a, a hospice chaplain, Carrie Egan, about what the dying really regret. And the top line of that is that they regret the time that they spent hating their bodies and they miss all the things about their body that they forgot to appreciate while they were busy, you know, criticizing it, despising it, wishing it was different, etc. So I'm going to talk through some tools and strategies with you during this segment. And then um, in the last one, I'll, I'll share another piece of writing with you that um, is about my own story. So last week we talked about how to use a challenge as an opportunity to practice. And if you are thinking about changing your relationship with your body um, and making it supportive and friendly and ultimately self-loving, I'll just tell you from, from my experience, um, just based on where I came from, it was absolutely a project um, and a practice that um, I kind of had to immerse myself in. And the reason for that was I was speaking to myself about my body a lot. Um, so depending upon where you're at, you know, you may need practices once in a while during the day, or you might be somebody um, who has a, a more of a history like me, where when you really think about it, you find yourself going at yourself over your appearance uh, more often than not. So the first thing um, that I would suggest is to notice that it's happening. So uh, for some of us, that that self-criticizing voice is such a natural part of us that we don't necessarily even realize that it is our inner critic, um, that it is lying to us, and that it is really not for us. It is not supportive. It is not kind. So one of the ways to identify it is is this supportive and kind, this thing that I'm saying to myself? And one of the ways to determine that, if you're not sure, is to imagine saying what you're saying to yourself to somebody that you love. So for instance, if you if you find yourself saying, I'm too fat, I'm too fat, to anything, I'm too this or not enough of that, that in and of itself is not, it's not supportive, it's not kind. And it would be pretty difficult to say that to somebody that you love. You would literally be looking at them saying, you're too fat, ouch. Really hurtful, right? If we could change our bodies, change our relationship with food, 
change our relationship with exercise by saying mean things to ourselves, we all would have changed a long time ago. It doesn't work. So the first thing that I would suggest is the same thing I talked about last week when you're starting a new practice, and that is to notice what is happening and then breathe into your belly. Through your nose, deep into your belly to center yourself. Put your hand on your belly to make sure your belly is rising and falling, not your chest. We don't want your breath up in your chest. That that doesn't help the body relax. It doesn't, it doesn't help to center you. So breathe deep into your belly. And um, as I mentioned last week, the second thing I almost always do is to bring in a gratitude. So when we're when we're talking about our bodies, um, in terms of beginning to practice this, my suggestion is to stay away from um, gratitudes that are related to your appearance, but to select something that is meaningful about your body. What does it allow you to do? In what ways does it work well? In what ways has it endured challenges and become resilient? Um, I found that, you know, you do what works for you, right? And so um, for some of you, affirmation might work. Um, I Here's what I found. Um, I found that trying to sort of compliment myself or go all the way over to the other end of, con- of the continuum. So if I'm saying something that's that's not very kind or supportive of myself, trying to oppose that with a big compliment about, you know, how beautiful I am or or whatever. To me, those are two two ends of the same spectrum. I I prefer a neutrality um, with my body. And so I do focus on things that are more neutral, um, accepting, affirming messages about my body that are based in truth. And so, for instance, I like to do hilly walks. And so one of my gratitudes um, is that I'm I'm so grateful that my body still allows me um, to do those hilly walks that have saved my sanity, really, during the pandemic and have allowed me to develop a, a health practice um, for my body um, that's been really wonderful. It's wonderful for my body and for my mind. So do your breathing and find a meaningful gratitude. And turn that into a mantra and say that to yourself over and over until you've broken that cycle of that invasive thought that's telling you that there's something wrong with your body. There is not anything wrong with your body. Sure, you might want your body to be smaller, for instance. This is very common. But there is nothing wrong with your body. So if you accept your body as it is in its current size and love it, not only are you going to be able to experience the joy of life without that voice going at you, but when it comes time to make a choice for your body, you've been loving it and saying kind things to it instead of criticizing it. Because when we criticize it, we create suffering for ourselves. And when we create suffering for ourselves, we reach for anesthesia. And food is one of the biggest um, anesthesias that we have. We can't avoid it. We can't abstain from it. We need food. It's one of the joys of life, but it can also um, become kind of an adversary and a way to punish ourselves. So the next, um, the next 
thing I also mentioned last week, and I want to bring it up again because it's very compelling and it can kind of throw us off track and make us think, huh, maybe, <laughs> maybe this isn't the right path. And that's fear. So um, I'm just going to repeat it, I think, um, because it bears mentioning there's fear that is based in reality where there is really truly a threat to you of some kind. And that fear should be listened to so that you can um, maintain your own safety. But there is also fear that is manufactured, right? So when we're thinking about our bodies and we're wanting our bodies to be different, I would, I would suggest that there's possibly some fear there, um, fear of rejection, fear of judgment um, from others, fear of criticism, fear of discrimination. Now, can those things actually happen um, based on our bodies? Absolutely, they can. They absolutely can. So it's not that it's not that those fears are unfounded, right? It's really about, well, what is what is the fear though truly? Okay, so I fear being criticized for my appearance. And let's say it happens. So it's happened to me a lot in my life, I'll tell you. Uh, people have felt very free to tell me what they think of my appearance, what they think of my body. Um, my body has been a variety of different sizes when my body was bigger. Men that who who I didn't even know um, would go out of their way to say mean things to me um, about my body because um, the the message really is well what a shame because you know you would be a lot more attractive if if you were just thinner if you were just smaller so okay the fear the fear is real but it's the or else part of that fear okay so yes i might somebody might say something nasty to me um about my appearance or about my body but then what if i don't believe them and if I realize that in order for that to come out of that other person, they have to be doing that to themselves, and that making a comment like that about me or somebody making a comment like that about you, it's not about you and it's not about me. Those types of comments are a reflection of what is going on inside that person. Do they hurt? Absolutely, they hurt. And going ahead and feeling that hurt is, is absolutely necessary. But believing it is something altogether different. And so in, in developing this, this friendly and supportive and loving relationship with your own body, you begin to build up kind of a like a shield almost, because when people say those things to you, or when you just sort of see those messages come in, you no longer believe them because you're telling yourself the truth, which is that there is nothing wrong with you and there is nothing wrong with your body. It's worthy. It's worthy of love. It's worthy of care. It's worthy of compassion. It is your friend, it is your partner. You need your body in order to live this life. 
So in addition, um, belly breathing, gratitude, let's face the fear and look at the or else of the fear and realize that, yes, it hurts. Yes, it's scary, but we are in fact not going to die or spontaneously combust when those things happen. And it does give us an opportunity to practice hurtful as it is. And then there is comparison. Ooh, comparison. I'm going to do a whole show on comparison. So um, when we talk about our bodies, this, I mean, how many times are you scrolling through social media and you see somebody post a photo and you do that thing with your fingers where you, you swipe the photo so you can get a better look and you take a good look at how people how people look, what's going on with their weight, et cetera. And you begin not only to judge them, but to compare and to either criticize yourself because I don't know, maybe you decide they look better than you or you begin to criticize them because maybe you decide you look better to, than, than they do. That is poison. It's poison to us. It, it doesn't fill the well that we need to fill with self-acceptance and, and joy and the things that we really, really need to draw from in this life. It is difficult. It is difficult to be a human being. Okay. So if you're having a hard time being a human being, you are absolutely not alone. The human condition is a real thing and it is challenging. So comparing yourself to other people, it is apples, and oranges and cherries and grapes. Just do what you can to begin to abstain from that practice. It will always bring unhappiness. Even if for the moment you feel like you're better than the other person, it's poisoning you. So comparison to others is always going to bring unhappiness. Comparison to your younger self. Oh my goodness we're not supposed to look like we did when we were 20 or 25 or 30 or 35. That's not what human life is about. That's not what our life cycle is. So waxing nostalgic about your youth or kind of beating yourself up with, you know, very restrictive food plans or, you know, very rigid exercise requirements purely because you're trying to recapture your younger self, your younger body, or your idealized self, a body that you've actually never experienced, but you've convinced yourself that you can make happen if you just do all the right things, all of those comparisons take you out of the joy of just being a human and being in your human body and create all kinds of ways in which you are not good enough. So um, anytime you find yourself comparing, and I have to say, this is something that you might need to kind of focus on, like make a practice out of, hmm, do I compare? Do I compare myself with other people? Do I compare myself to my younger self? Do I compare myself with this imagined uh, body that I think I can have if I do X, Y, and Z? And just see where that shows up for you, because as you start to disengage from that, 
and accept yourself completely as you are and no longer compare yourself to any of those other uh, frames of reference, you will begin to feel a peace and you will, will begin to open up space in your own mind, in your own spirit for other things to happen because there's an opportunity cost to self-hate, right? There's an opportunity cost to going at yourself over the way that your body looks. When you're doing that, you cannot be loving yourself. They're not happening at the same time. And self-hate breeds self-hate. It doesn't lead to love. I used to think if I just stay the course, and if I just keep trying, and if I just get thin enough, and if I just maintain a youthful enough appearance and get enough injections and treatments and all the things, that eventually, then I'll be able to love myself. But that's not the way it works. Because all of those practices that I was doing were contributing to my self-hate. They were contributing to the rejection of myself, not to the acceptance of myself. So we're coming up on a break. Uh, and when we return, I will share um, a piece of writing about my own life and a few more tips and practices as we head into the holiday. You're listening to Freedom for Humans, and we will be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Connect with us, and we'll connect with you. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on LinkedIn. Get the first word about happenings with the network, where our next live event will be, and what's up with our hosts. Look up Voice America on LinkedIn. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Giraffe Tango Octopus, Freedom for Humans. Have your own story or have questions for Kirsten or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back to Freedom for Humans. This is Kirsten, your host, and we're talking about how to develop a friendly, supportive relationship with your body. I'm going to share um, a quick piece that I wrote about my body, and then um, I have some tips for how to interact with other people. Um, if you have people that say things about your appearance, etc., um, to finish up the show today. So this piece is called Your Body. Your body is your first, best, and last partner in this life. No one knows you better than your body. It is your closest friend, ally, confidant, collaborator, and mirror. In the beginning, you are attuned to all of its pleasures and pains, seeking more of the former and veering away from the latter. A skinned knee stops the world, a bee sting a catastrophe, your favorite cream of wheat with a crust of sugar on top, a joyous Sunday morning delight, walking barefoot in the summer, your feet wonderfully calloused and filthy, the wind blowing through your hair as you swing as high as you can go on the playground, the swing set bolted to the concrete beneath you. Your fifth grade teacher, Mr. Reed, dims the lights after recess and reads aloud from the witch of Blackbird Pond. You close your eyes, lay your head on your desk, and let the story drift into your ears, creating your own Technicolor movie as the tale unfolds. You sing loudly along to Abbey Road in the backseat of the Ford Granada, purchased new in 1975. Your dad installs an eight-track tape player because music is important. You cycle through the Beatles, Jim Croce, Harry Chapin, Cat Stevens, Arlo Guthrie, The Carpenters, and the soundtracks to A Star is Born in American Graffiti. It is the 70s. There are no helmets, knee pads, or helicopter parents. You trek across the expansive field that borders your already immense backyard. You go to Wonderland Park in your neighborhood where everything is named for Alice in Wonderland. You pick blackberries, staining your face and hands. You ride your bubblegum pink, huffy, sweet thunder to the 7-Eleven and peruse the candy, including the ones made to look like cigarettes and the fun dip packets of pure sugar crystals made sour by some chemical process. You come home for dinner and go back out to play hide-and-seek in the cool summer by the light of the moon and a lone street lamp at the top of your cul-de-sac to which you run at full speed without getting tagged. You do not hate your body. Not yet. It is still a harmonious union with your mind and your spirit. Your body has not been without challenges and eye surgery as an infant with decades of corrective vision appointments, glasses, and the dreaded patch to strengthen your bad eye a tumor that appears above your right eye and must be removed, the scar hidden partially by the surgeon near your eyebrow. It is mysterious and benign. Chronic, painful UTIs requiring catheterization in an OR with multiple masked male practitioners. You are allowed your stuffed animal as comfort. They ask you about this inanimate object to distract you from what is happening to your body. It doesn't work. You are in pain, scared, and have no control over what is happening to your body. You are angry. They underestimate you, believing believing you know, feel, and understand far less than you do, that you can be manipulated by their stuffed animal talk. You play along, deciding you will be the little soldier your, your father has begun to train in the boot camp that also characterizes your childhood, your dad's impossible standards juxtaposed by your mom's unconditional acceptance. You become familiar with this loss of dominion over your partner, your vessel, your body. You begin to rail against it in the limited ways a child has of gaining control. It is a cyclone. You are arresting control while peers, adults, media, and American standards of beauty inundate you with messages about 
what your body must and must not be, what it can and cannot experience, what is to be kept private and what can be shown. Your natural relationship with your body, with its ease of communication and common understanding that you have with a best friend, becomes fractured, distanced. When you move to a larger home on a street named for the Cheshire Cat, you find a bothersome and malevolent presence there. You say nothing of it. You come home after school to this empty house inhabited by something unseen. It is several hours until your family returns home from work and football practice. You are scared and lonely. You begin to eat. Not in the joyful way of your earlier childhood, food is now a drug. Your first substance of abuse, and certainly not your last. This drugging of your body with food, pushing it past its capacity limits with confections and plastic wrappers, bags and boxes, putting as much non-food food into your body as you can physically tolerate and avoid this abhorrent, shameful behavior being exposed. You now hate your body. You are not aware of this, this root of hate that will drive your treatment of your body for decades to come, but that is what it is. It is an act of self-hatred directed at your body. You would not do this to someone you love. Like many coping mechanisms, there is short-term gratification that keeps you chasing it, but there is also long-term pain, compounding, harming your body during its limited lifespan. Along with the barrage of ding-dongs and Fritos, there is TV. Not just TV, but the utter inertia of laying in front of the TV, a literal depression in the carpet made over time by your body. This groove of food and inertia, a protective bubble until life enters the home, and you are awakened from this painful stasis. You act normal. Your homework is done. Your grades are good. Your room is clean. You report to dinner and clean your plate. Your gut already bursting from the secret life you live when you are alone. And there it is. The secret life you live when you are alone. You will live some version of this for four decades. Recovery in one area toiling with compulsion and shame in another, harming your body, allowing men to harm it, paying many thousands of dollars to have it harmed by needles, scalpels, lasers, to meet the impossible, ever-changing standard of acceptability that comes from outside of you and has nothing to do with you. But now it is over. This servitude to standards that only exist if they are believed my decades-long journey to unconditional self-acceptance has freed me from the hatred that propelled those assaults against my vessel, my partner. I again love you, my body, and treat you with respect. You are my closest friend, ally, confidant, collaborator, and mirror. It is the two of us, you and me, me and you, who live this life now and will lead this life together just as we entered it. I remember to apologize to you when the shame of the past emerges, and as a best friend does, I am forgiven. So I cannot really express properly in words how grateful I am to no longer live in a cycle of hatred for my body. Um, to have gotten a chance to live some life now, um, probably a good year or so, um, a little more, maybe a year and a half now, freed from that pattern is something that I didn't know whether I could do, and I 
didn't even have any way to conceive of what it would feel like, but oh my goodness, it feels peaceful and it feels quieter and there's room for lots and lots of other things um, in my life. So let's talk about some tools as many of you are, you know, um, struggling with your self-talk, but also you might be struggling with um, interactions that bring your body or the appearance of your body to the forefront. So I've already mentioned this, but when your body is judged or criticized by someone else, immediately show yourself some compassion. That is very hurtful and it's not okay. It's not okay for anybody to say anything hurtful, unkind, or unsupportive about you or your body. Your body belongs to you and it is none of their business. So um, do uh, what I what I tried to do is I, I turn inward and show myself the compassion that you would show someone else who you saw be harmed by that type of a comment. And remember that that comment is not actually about you. It's directed at you, but is it is directed at you by that person's own self-hatred. That does not mean you have to turn the other butt cheek, so to speak. Um, but do remember that the comment is not a reflection of you. It is a reflection of them. What I am sometimes able to do, um, in addition to being compassionate toward myself, is to show compassion for others, even when I see and experience that behavior, um, which of course I don't, um, I don't enjoy. So next, care more about you, care more about yourself than you care about being polite or agreeable or saying the right thing or not ruffling people's feathers. If you truly do want to change and you want to shift into a, a, a more self-affirming, um, friendly, self-loving relationship with yourself, I guarantee you it will disrupt the culture of your relationships. So people are going to continue to treat you as they've always treated you and might be confused when you, when you actually want to change the way that you're interacting. So there's some discomfort there and it does take some, some practice and some repetition. That's the only way to really change these patterns. So you do have to, in some way, you know, take a deep breath and get yourself up for it because this is your opportunity to practice. So um, care more about yourself. You don't have to be polite. You don't have to be agreeable. You don't have to say anything at all. Um, some suggestions um, about how to handle that of somebody, you know, maybe your mom, maybe your grandmother, whomever that feels like they, you know, uh, need to comment on your weight or your body or your physical appearance. You can say, you know, I'm no longer comfortable discussing my appearance. I'm working on self-acceptance. Your support would be appreciated, but if you can't support me, your silence on this topic would be the next best thing. So you can take that and craft it so that it works for you, but it is a compassionate and honest way of saying, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Please don't 
so that say those kinds of things to me. Um, one that's a bit more direct. It hurts me when you make comments about my body. Please don't do that anymore. Um, you may have to say that more than once, unfortunately. Um, but again, it is compassionate to yourself and uh, very likely the truth. Um, my body belongs to me and it's none of your business. That one's, gonna, that one's for somebody who maybe is, is not hearing you, is not getting the message. Um, that's, that's for a boundary that has to be set um, maybe in a clearer way because they're not picking up your, uh, your subtleties. You can choose not to engage um, and walk away. So sometimes we feel like when somebody starts something like that with us that we need to actually find a way to work through that type of conversation and we don't. Um, you can just um, excuse yourself and go find somebody else to talk to. Uh, under no circumstances, agree with them or add a self-deprecating remark. Nope. If you typically try to get ahead of it by calling out your weight or your age, by saying something um, kind of negative about it because you, you're afraid other people are going to see it or think that you don't see it, that is actively self-criticizing and denying and it's actively self-hating and it's harmful and it's going to make you probably reach for anesthesia. So, um, you know, self-deprecating jokes about your body or, or your appearance, they might seem like jokes, um, but they're not. Every one of those is like, it's like death by a thousand cuts, right? So that's how we have time for it today. Um, in terms of our of our tools and our tricks um, and our practices. I want to wish you a very happy holiday, whatever you do for your holiday. Um, you can find me at Giraffe Tango Octopus or on um, social media at GTO Coaching. Um, I'm here to help you on your journey to freedom or to practice any of the things that we talked about today in a free session. Um, as we go into these holidays, Love yourself, free yourself, be yourself, and dance your own tango. Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope we have helped you learn to love yourself unconditionally and accept and celebrate everything that makes you, you. Tune in next Wednesday for another episode. And in the meantime, dance your own tango.